You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Mottier, and I'm here today with Alfie Marsh, Head of US Sales at Spendesk. How are you doing today, Alfie? I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you doing? I guess um, we're on different time zones at the moment as well, aren't we? Absolutely, yeah. No, I'm doing great. Great, great, great. It's a beautiful day here in the UK, beginning of the winter, so it's getting a bit cold, but the sun is out, so nothing to complain about. Where are you based today? I'm in San Francisco. So this is the first sort of September to November period I've actually had whilst living here, and this is the best time of the year, apparently. So we've got blue skies, nice sun, the weather's good, and it does make me laugh every time I look back at my friends and family in France and the UK who are getting wrapped up for the cold. Yeah, well, you know, we actually have an office in San Jose, and when we go down the Bay area we, we actually uh, i like to drive a few miles down where it's even more sunnier <laughs> Uh, it, can, it can get cold sometimes in San Francisco, but there you go. Our discussion today is focusing on international expansion and outbound sales. But before we go into the conversation, would you mind just telling us a little bit more about yourself, Alfie, as well as the company you represent, Spendesk? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Alfie Marsh. I've been with Spendesk for about three years now. Um, Spendesk is a Paris-born company, now international. We have offices in London, Paris, Berlin, and San Francisco, although many of us are working remote, as I'm sure many people are. When I joined the company, we were around 20 employees. Since then, we're now about 220 plus. We've been growing at around about 300% year on year. It's been a pretty exciting journey. That sounds good. Sounds wonderful. And in terms of your solution, what, what is it that you're bringing to the market? Yeah, so we help companies better make payments in the workplace. So we empower employees to securely spend the company's money through smart payment methods like virtual and physical cards that are connected to an online platform, which helps managers and finance teams automate the month-end close and reconciliation. Good, that's saving a lot of time. That's wonderful. So thanks for that, Alfie. I know you are a big advocate for outbound sales as an instrument and a way for pipeline generation, especially when it comes to expanding into new markets. So it would be good to understand more about your experience of international expansion and how you see the SDR role, the BDR role, so the people who are, I guess, responsible for the top of the funnel in this process. Yeah, I mean, 100% critical part of the process. As part of any go-to-market, and I think that outbound sales in particular is probably the most critical for a couple of reasons. If you look at the difference between inbound lead generation and outbound, it's kind of the difference between fishing and spear hunting. So fishing is you cast a net out, which is your marketing. Uh, you catch a bunch of fish, which are the leads, and the SDR will have to go through and figure out which ones are appropriate for you and then pass them on, qualify them and so on. Whereas an outbound SDR is more like a spear hunter. You have a predefined target that you're going after, an ideal customer profile in a particular segment, and then you're going to go and hunt down uh, that game until you can get an opportunity. Now, that's quite an important distinction between the two for a go-to-market because for any go-to-market, there is a, a phase of customer discovery you start with hypotheses and assumptions, and you then need to validate those. So you need to be able to say, for example, our product is not going to work the same way in the US as it is in Europe, because this market has a particular nuance to it. So you take your hypothesis and you need to validate that. Now, that's very hard to do if you're using nets and inbound leads, yeah. because you have much less control over the companies you're actually going after. So in short, the SDR function is the lifeblood of any go-to-market, because it allows you to be agile, 
flexible and be very specific in your targeting. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's also interesting, you know, the, particularly when it comes to extension. That's kind of getting into my second question now. But we find the cultural differences from one region to another, the adoption of solution, the maturity to a specific solution to be different from one country to another. And I believe that, you know, particularly for the outbound SDRs, the people who are building up the message, trying to identify the right persona in which vertical and kind of identifying the sales plays that will be successful. So then you can scale with, with sales automation and all that. I think the outbound SDR is really key. And I do agree with you. I, in fact, I use exactly the same analogy of fishing and hunting. And I think, you know, when, when you are doing inbound response management, we also use a different type of training for the resources. So technically, inbound will be a bit more a technical conversation. Mm-hmm. Why? Because you're already you're already looking at something. You're already on the market for I don't know. If you want to buy a watch or a fridge or a car, the target accounts will be engaging with you. When we are doing the inbound response management, we're really seeing uh, prospects really coming in with questions straight away. They want us to get technical. They want us to go into the details. While we are doing the the outbound prospecting, is much more of a challenger sales approach. So validating the business needs, understanding what those people are doing, how they are doing it currently, and basically creating the demand instead of responding to the demand. So I 100% agree with you. And kind of linked to that point, we know that, you know, obviously the the SDR is, is a key role in building pipeline, but they can also be a great way to keep your finger on the pulse in relation to product market fit and how the market is receiving your, your message, your solution. But what are your thoughts on that and how do you adapt on that with your team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they an SDR, a BDR, they're going to be the eyes and ears of your company in the market. They're going to have that visceral response from prospects and clients on the phone. And this is one thing where I think for go-to-market, it's actually cold calling as a channel is great because you can get these responses in real time and really understand what that fit is. So for example, there's a few different things that you can do when you're pivoting in a go-to-market. You can pivot your product and iterate that to PMF. You can pivot your segment. So who are you going after? And then you can also pivot your positioning. And so that's how do you position and sell your product or services. On the sales side, the segmentation and the positioning is very much a function of the sales team. And that positioning is a variable which people I think overlook. You can have the same product and make a slight tweak in the terms of the way that you explain your value proposition or the way that you're pitching it. And that can actually help get you into a product market fit because especially in a new market where your product or service has never existed before, people aren't very knowledgeable about your solution. They don't know you, who you are, you, you don't exist. So you have to sell the vision and the problem and get them to understand that. And an SDR is the perfect way for you to get that real-time feedback and see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, again, you know, it's been very, 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 very valid all those points for over the course of COVID-19 and the pandemic, particularly at the outset, okay. as we were trying to figure out, the, you know, what to do in the lockdown. Will people still pick up the phone? Will people still respond to email? And, and in fact, in the territory you are in, in the US, what we realized, and we did a bit of a study that we then shared with our clients in terms of best practice, but we look at response rate per states. And the states of, of California, and particularly places like San Francisco, Bay Area, but also New York Metro, Boston, at some points were absolutely horrendous. Literally, you could not get hold of anyone. People would not respond to email. I think the state of scare, alerts, confusion was really driving people to not really respond or to not really move. And people were kind of happy to just freeze everything for a little while and wait for government or for institution to kind of tell them what to do or at least get a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel. But at this time, 
we would see some other places like you know Dallas, south of the U.S. still being very, very, very reactive, and in fact, you know, probably a bit more responsive than they were before. And that's been evolving over time. And we also saw the medium changing. So when the lockdown started, LinkedIn was fantastic. It seemed that everybody was on LinkedIn. Everybody LinkedIn was, was on fire. Absolutely, yeah. you know, LinkedIn <laughs> was great. And then came June. LinkedIn was not as good, and people were kind of fed up with LinkedIn. And, and then everybody was back at home. Their phone line from the office would be then directed to their mobile. And, you know, things kind of resume to some certain level of normality. And I think now we are in a position where people know what a lockdown looks like. So if we were to go to a second lockdown, third lockdown, or whatever it could be, let's, let's hope not. But if that was to happen, I think there would not be a fear of what's going on. So that phrase would not happen again. But it was an interesting thing to witness. And with all the people that we've got in the trenches, SDR, speaking to prospects, no, when you've got 200 of them on a daily basis speaking to prospect, you can very much kind of get a feel for the market, get a feel for what's working, what's not working, what's a nice to have, what is a must have. And those guys have been absolutely instrumental in us understanding what was going on, basically, and us adapting to what was going on, influencing the way our clients were thinking to change the way we were working and basically still manage to produce a certain level of results in, in a very testing market. So yeah, SDR is key. And, and I, I do agree with you in the, on the focus. And, and the trenches and they actually see the real stuff getting an understanding of what they are seeing on a daily basis is, is critical Absolutely. and so Alfie you mentioned in your intro that Spendesk was pretty much 20 people when you joined and now around circa a little bit more than 200 people so yeah. I, I would have expected that the face of your SDR team have fundamentally changed and in fact yeah. we do believe that you've got an SDR function that should be set up for startup an SDR function that should be set up for what I would call a scale up and I would put you in that category so yeah. What is your perception of that change from an SDR role perspective as the company is growing, as the company is evolving and obviously mm. becoming more potentially process driven than startup driven? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. So fundamentally, the role is exactly the same. The outcome is the same. The, the SDR is there to help connect your company and create meaningful conversations with potential buyers. So that fundamentally will stay the same regardless of the stage, you know, I think in the company. However, the context in which that is operating is very, very different. So for example, where we are in the US at Spendesk, we're right at the beginning of our journey. In our core markets in France, the UK and Germany, we're further advanced. So we're more up in that scale up stage. And then to a blue chip, you know, company that has a huge SDR team with an established market at such points can be very different. So initial stage, like I said before, you have to validate a lot of unknown assumptions. And so it's kind of you're building the plane whilst you're flying it. And the kind of mentality that these types of SDRs have to have is very, very different. They are not going to come into a process that they know works. And so you can't turn up to work, do your activity and expect to have results. I don't think anyone could do that ever, really. But even more so at this particular stage, because you have to be able to constantly iterate and adapt. You have to build the messaging. You have to understand which problems are really speaking to people. What element of your vision or solution is getting people emotionally invested in the product? Now, that's very different to a maybe a scale up stage in the company where, for example, in France, in our core market, we know exactly what the value proposition is and what works. We know exactly which segments 
and we know exactly their pains and why they're going to yeah. buy versus us in the competition. So it really is a case of the process itself is more validated. So there is less need to build the plane, you know, whilst you're flying it. And it's more a case of execution. And so that changes. And, and this is one reason why I think, you know, we've had success in being able to hire great SDRs early on in the company for go to markets, because there's this element of uh, you have a lot of ownership over constructing the process and being a part of that vision. Whereas other SDRs and other candidates may just not really want to be part of that. They want to just turn up, work hard and know that they're going to get paid from producing opportunities at the end of the month. So they're better suited to being in an organization with a validated, repeatable process. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And Alfie, I want to move on to international expansion now, global international expansion. We witnessed it for many years and, and we know how difficult it can be, particularly for a startup coming from Europe. So like, like you guys, France or even Israeli startup, we've got a fair few Israeli customers to go and tackle the US market. Okay, such a wide market is such a, you know, where do you start basically? And of course, what people tend to do is to get one, some of their top guys to go and fly to relocate there, like probably spendex done with yourself. But I'd like to understand about your lesson learned, you know, and, and I don't know if you can address, you know, some, some of the challenges that you came across, some of the opportunity that you've seen, you know, things that you've seen, you've seen being easier, tougher. So kind of a general feeling, really. So if you can empty your bag about that, that would be great because we know how difficult it is right and we know it because we are helping a few clients to do it it's about getting the first few reference you're not a u.s company u.s prospect and to like buying from u.s organization when you are a startup from france you know do they see you in the best in the same way i don't know so it'd be good to get just your thoughts on that in terms of challenges and opportunity that you've come across since you relocated in san francisco and and you've been pushing spenders in the u.s there are so many topics that we could go in deep dives and podcasts of their own, I think, on this one. But maybe one context, I think, in terms of challenging and with hindsight, I think many of the problems that you face become much easier when you're aware that you're in the problem. And it's like being in the eye of the storm of a hurricane. It's very hard to see that you're there when you're in the midst of it. And so what do I mean by that? So let's say, for example, your tactic is to launch your product from Europe in the US and you're going to send a sales team, an acquisition team, and hope that you've got product market fit. And then obviously, if you do and you have repeatable lead generation and closing, and then you kind of skip all the initial discovery stages and validation stages, and you go directly into execution phase where you invest in growth, you can invest in your more SDRs, you can invest in more account executives, and you just focus on growing. Now, if you don't have a product market fit and you don't understand the variables that you have within your control, it can be very frustrating. It can be very challenging because you have a, a sense of constantly failing. And I think that my biggest learning is you have to reshape what you understand to be a failure. And for example, to not close deals or not have a product market fit is not necessarily a failure. As long as you realize that your goal, your objective is to validate a hypothesis. And if you haven't got a product market fit, then it's to execute a different plan to get there. And when you shift that mentality, it makes the whole experience a, a lot more enjoyable and you can also iterate quicker because it means that you won't continue trying to go down one route that doesn't work, i.e. selling to the same segment or selling the same value proposition. You can identify, okay, I'm, my positioning is off here, so I need to pivot that. And then you change and you iterate quickly and you advance into a product market fit at a much quicker rate. So that's the, the kind of challenge. What have you seen in terms of opportunity? Do you see that you know once you get the first few references, it becomes easier? 
Well, I think one thing that's really interesting is just the way different people and companies buy software. You know, in Spendes, we have the German market, France, UK, and then the United States. And on, on two aspects, Germany and the United States couldn't be further apart in almost every way, culture, way they buy, and, and so on and so forth. And then, the, you know, France and the UK are kind of in the middle. With the US, for example, there is a lot more emphasis on storytelling. How do you pitch your vision? And I feel that it's easier to get people emotionally bought in to your idea through storytelling and vision without necessarily having the details of every piece of the product you know, 100% up to scratch versus if you look on the flip end of Germany, storytelling just doesn't really work in the German market. They want to know facts and they want to have the bullet points, bang, 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 yes or no, tick boxes, and that's kind of how it's done. So I think that there's always opportunity as long as you see the context that you're in and you can pivot and adapt and really focus your approach on leveraging that. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Last question for you, Alfie. We, we, we spoke about SDR and SDR in the context of international expansion. If I was an SDR and, you know, I start my career, what would be the three advice that you would give me? Don't expect to be good from day one. Have a growth mindset. So expect that you can be good one day, but you have to do the work to get there is the first one. I would be an avid learner read, listen to podcasts like this one, speak to your peers. Don't just look inside the company for the best practices. Speak to peers outside. Really make sure that you have created an environment of learning that is going to really accelerate you. And I think the third one is you have to be self-critical and self-analytical. That means every phone call that you do, listen to it, analyze it, be your own worst critic. When you can break down yourself and the actions that you do, it's going to help you de-block yourself a lot quicker and then waiting for other people to do it. We're driving exactly that internally, so that's wonderful. Three fantastic points. But yes, self-teaching is key, you know, and that's one thing that people are missing sometimes. And I don't know if it's generational. I don't like to speak about millennials, but, you know, lots of people speak about millennials. And it's funny how sometimes people can get a lot of information that are not relevant to what they do as work, you know, in terms of social media and stuff like that. But then when they don't have what they need at work, they will point the mm-hmm. finger at the manager, point the finger at the clients and, you know, just say, well, the information is actually available everywhere. If you want to teach yourself you could but i'm a big believer in self-learning and i think your last point about kind of holding yourself accountable look at yourself in the mirror keep on going don't expect to be good from day one as well the first point do make sense there is a learning curve and it's almost when you need to find that moment where you click with the message where you click with the person where you actually get under the skin of the prospect and then the product becomes secondary and your knowledge of the product is not that important but you really have an understanding of what's happening in the life of the people you are targeting you have an understanding of what's happening in the organization and that takes a little bit of time particularly if you are you know not a seasoned business person and it's the first time you, you target I don't know pharmaceutical company the first time I targeted a pharmaceutical company myself I had no idea what was going on in the organization I just knew <laughs> they were doing drugs but I didn't understand the research and development cycle I didn't understand the way they operate etc etc and as you start speaking to them and you start having conversation within the accounts you really start to build up a picture understand and appreciate the complexity of those accounts and then that really helps you to network and then you know if, if I was to add one thing is also use the war story from every single conversation you've got you know learn from each conversation if I'm having a conversation with Alfie today 
today I'm unlearning something from you and tomorrow I will speak to Bob. I will say to Bob, look, Bob, that's funny what you say to me because I spoke to Alfie at a company called Spendesk yesterday and he was saying that to me. And, you know, getting that peer-to-peer, -peer, I think it's also coming for SDR. My point here is don't just get education from your managers. In our yeah. case, the clients and the managers because we would have our clients also supporting us in getting up to speed. But learn from conversation with the prospect. Go and speak to the end user. These are the people that will give you the best training because they will tell you what's happening in their life. And, and if you know that, that's the key for the next conversation. So true. I mean, as an SDR, I would love to know how many people do this, if anyone does this. But if you're an SDR joining a company, reach out to your buyer persona. So let's say you sell to VPs of sales. Reach out to a couple of VPs of sales and on LinkedIn and say, hey, I've just started this job as a SDR selling to VPs of sales. I'm not going to try and sell you anything, but I would love to just understand how you work and, and what you do for a living and, and how that's going to relate to my product so that I can better sell to other people. Could we speak for like 15 minutes? I guarantee you that a lot of people would be happy to have like yeah. an informational interview with you and give you so much information and just advance that, you know, you don't have to read books on, like, you know, being a VP of sales, so to speak. But yeah, there's, there's so much information out there. You just have to ask for it. I'd 100% agree. I mean, when I actually started, it was many moons ago, but I had zero training. In fact, LinkedIn was not even there. I kind of revealing <laughs> a little bit my hedge there, but it was pre-LinkedIn. I think people started to use LinkedIn in the US, but not so much in Europe. So, so it was it was quite uh, interesting. You had to go through the switchboard and all that. But people were quite helpful, and and that may have changed a little bit. So I don't know what it would look like now, but. I remember when I first started having people saying no to me and saying, no, I'm not interested. And, you know, most of them would expect me to go after that. But the question I would ask them is, that's very good feedback. Can you tell me why you are not interesting? Is it yeah. what I told you? Is it what I said? Is it the fact you've already got a product in place? You know, and some of them would say, well, I don't really have the time. And, and, and I would just say, look, I, I don't want to be too much, but just satisfy my intellect here by just telling me what's going on. Because, you know, I just need to understand what I've done. I need to understand how we close that conversation. You telling me that you are not interested is great, but if I don't understand why, I can't progress. And when you yeah. say that to people, they actually say, you know what, I'm going to take five minutes. And what I realized in that specific occurrence, I was I was representing a company that was called Stricom, and I think they've been acquired since and all that, so I can probably mention your name, and it was a long time ago. And Stricom went B2B, then they stopped going B2B, and then they went B2B again. And I worked as an SDR for them when they went B2B again, but no one told me that two years before that, they actually left thousands of prospects, thousands of clients worldwide with pallets of kits in their office, and then just send them an email saying, look, you know what, we're gonna stop doing B2B now. So forget about the service, forget about this, forget about that, we, do, we go focusing on something else. See you later and thanks for your custom. So I had to pick up all that and, and I was not understanding why people were saying no to me. Well, I could see all my other colleagues working on other campaigns with other clients being successful. I was like, what's wrong? And, and as soon as I understood that, I incorporated it in my message yeah. and I managed to speak about it. So I managed to tackle the objection, the non-spoken objection. And I think there's a, yeah, I've always been a big advocate of if you want to learn how to sell to someone, understand what's happening in their life. It's not about you. It's not about your product. In fact, nobody cares about all that. People care about themselves. So go and understand what's happening for them. Go and tackle this non-spoken objection. What is it that people don't like in the approach? What you should not do and adapt, look in the mirror, change, 
don't take anything that people are telling you for granted and try to add up for every single conversation. So yeah, big yeah. believer of all that. Look, Alfie, we're getting to the, the end of our conversation. We took a little bit longer than expected today, but I think we both got a little bit excited about some of the, <laughs> the topic we covered. So what we do at this point of the conversation, we always ask our guests for what is the best way to get in touch with them. So if any of our audience would like to engage with Spendesk and potentially discuss your solution, or if we've got any French, German... Israeli startup sales guy that are potentially, you know, looking at international move and conquering the U.S. market. Basically, if anyone wants to get in touch with you to further that conversation, Elfie, what's the best way to get hold of you? Yeah, so for any companies that are looking at Spendesk as a product or service, they can go to spendesk.com, as S-P-E-N-D-E-S-K.com, and they can book an appointment with any one of our reps. If anyone would like to speak to me directly about things like sales, go to markets, the best way to get in contact is through LinkedIn. Just send me a request and a message, and I'll try my best to reply. Alternatively, you can contact me by my email on alfie at spendesk.com, and that's alfie, A-L-F-I-E. That's wonderful. Well, once again, many thanks for for your time today it was absolutely a pleasure to have you on the show thank you very much likewise you've been listening to b2b revenue acceleration to ensure that you never miss an episode subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player thank you so much for listening until next time